Welcome to Smart Humans with Slava Rubin, presented by Vincent. In this Alt Investing podcast, Slava talks to amazing minds about their investment journey and finds out what it takes to make it in the markets. And now, here's your host and smart human, Slava Rubin. Welcome back to the show. Today's guest I am super excited about. I've known him for over a decade. And, you know, he knows so much about the industry. And when we talk about alternative investments and pushing the industry forward, this is one of the people that has helped create everything that we are working on top of. Congressman Patrick McHenry, thank you very much for coming. Slava, great to be with you. All right. So you obviously have been pushing forward so many regulations, but we don't know the backstory. Where did this all come from? How did you get involved with alts even before you became a congressman? Well, so um, frankly, you know, I came to Congress uh, with experience in the real estate market, uh, buying and selling a few properties for for myself and my brother, um, and it came to Congress with a, a couple of assets, mainly uh, real estate. Uh, but I, I've been motivated around uh, advancing different investment options because of my father's experience. He had a real uh, challenge getting a, a loan to start a business. And so I'm, I've been trying to fix the problem my dad had and his business partner had when they were starting a, a small business in the backyard. And so I've been thinking about that a lot. And um, we, uh, I, my work with the JOBS Act uh, was born out of my dad's experience, and my motivation was basically because I, you know, grew up uh, with a family without uh, financial connections, and so, you know, a bank loan was the best option, uh, and there were few uh, few alternatives, uh, you know. And so, when my dad started his business, the first piece of financing he got was because he got a credit card, um, and this is when credit cards were the original fintech mover in the space in the late '70s. And that's a reason why I was able to buy his uh, second piece of equipment was through using a credit card. So I wanted to build on that and update the technology footprint so that people have different financing options. So you mentioned the JOBS Act, just a level set. What exactly is that? How far back are we going? What's been the impact? Well, uh, so let's rewind to um, quite a while ago, uh, 2011. Um, and, um, and so, uh, we had this, this, you know, a, a Congress that wasn't doing much, uh, a huge partisan divide, which is nothing new in Washington, um, and, uh, in an economy that was not recovering at the pace it needed to. And so, uh, in combination with the treasury department and the Obama white house, uh, I, and a number of others in the house put together a bill called the jobs act, uh, to address financing needs and, um, both on debt and equity, um, and 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 really had a major move the, the first time in uh, two generations that we'd updated securities law, and so that bill enabled uh, uh, private uh, 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 private offerings to happen in a in a better way, uh, simplified regulation around modest size offerings, uh, including uh, a piece of legislation that I, I wrote around investment crowdfunding. And then on top of that, we had the ability for folks to uh, IPO uh, with a lot less expense structure, so smaller IPOs could happen. That's what's happened enormously in the in the uh, biotech space, and in, uh, in over the last uh, two years, the American people have benefited from 
a massive amount of investment that came over the last decade in biotech uh, as a result of the the Jobs Act. So that was a it was a bipartisan piece of legislation, a real roadmap for how we should be operating in, in Congress and in Washington. And you mentioned it. So equity crowdfunding or investment crowdfunding, as you said, was basically invented with the Jobs Act. Is that right? That's right, because uh, folks like you uh, that were doing this um, already with uh, with a unique approach. And uh, and what we did was expand the, the opportunity for different types of crowdfunding to, to occur. Um, and that really taught me a big lesson on legislating um, because the 11-page bill that I wrote uh, on investment crowdfunding became uh, well over 600 pages of regulation from the Securities Exchange Commission. Uh, and so that, that's informed me over the last decade that I've got to be quite specific with regulators on, and quite intentional on the fact that we're supposed to make things less onerous and less complicated, not more onerous and more expensive. So today it's obvious that equity crowdfunding is interesting. Was it easy to pass? Was it easy to get through in 2011, 2012? Not really. Uh, frankly, the idea came to me because um, uh, you had somebody who uh, w put together a Facebook page uh, and said, uh, you want to buy a beer company? And it was Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, was for sale and, um, and there were no American buyers. And so uh, they put together this, uh, uh, somebody put together a Facebook page and said, look, why don't we all band together, uh, those of us that love PBR, and, um, and, um, and buy it. And so they put together um, uh, you know, a Facebook page and they started getting pledges. And then uh, federal agents knocked on this person's door and said, you're breaking federal securities law, which was a huge shock to him. All they wanted to do is you know, uh, get a whole group of folks together. So, you know, the idea was not for me. It was it was from the, this this idea of buying a beer company. Uh, and while I love, you know, craft beer and, and uh, you know, beer generally, uh, my motivation was around how you helped other small businesses access that pool of capital. And it seems like what was intentional for me on investment crowdfunding um, didn't come to full fruition until... Uh, we had digital assets um, uh, come to the fore like they are now and a variety of alternatives in, in the digital asset space where you're actually having real investment crowdfunding happening at a very quite vigorous pace with now with DAOs and uh, with DeFi. But it, in particular with DAOs, answering this question uh, of, um, of owning uh, an asset in a distributed fashion, in a low dollar way, and having uh, and having people be able to participate in the upside. Uh, so there's a, a lot, you know, the, the technology transformation has occurred at such a pace that is that has really gone beyond what I had dreamed possible uh, with my approach to to investment crowdfunding. So. Going from Pabst Blue Ribbon to DAOs, very quickly, you're fluent with all these progressive innovations as it relates to investments. Um, why is this important to you? Why wasn't it just a one and done with the Jobs Act? Why this seems like you know it's becoming associated with you and your legacy? Um, tell me more about that. Well, again, back to my dad. Uh, what kind of business did my dad start? What well, wasn't the next tech startup? Right? It wasn't. Um, it was a lawn service mowing grass for other people. His first piece of equipment, uh, he borrowed uh, from somebody who wanted to sell him the lawnmower. And he wanted the best, fastest lawnmower 
you could possibly get so that you had the technological advantage um, over uh, having a lot of employees. Um, and so um, he got that and then needed to buy a truck in order to put this lawnmower in the back of. Uh, so he used a credit card to buy that truck. So I think of that, and I think of that person trying to get investment capital. And if you make this very expensive, if you make it, uh, if you if you make it very expensive for legal, uh, you know, um, legal bills for accounting bills, uh, to get a little investment capital, uh, you price people like my father out. Uh, you have debt financing that, that is perfect for people in certain situations, um, but you have banks that are uh, not able to make the loans that were, they were able to make um, 30, 40, 50 years ago, even 20 years ago. And so now you see bank, uh, bank balance sheets not geared towards small business lending, but geared to big business lending and a whole variety of other things. And so I think we've got to fill the space with more diverse offerings and what better than um, people investing in one another? Technology is the best way to root out this cost structure. And so I, I think the, the big move here is, is going to continue to happen like, frankly, web, uh, the first innovation of, uh, around Internet technology and web, you know, uh, you know the, the initial uh, approach to uh, Internet protocols. And I think we're at a similar stage with uh, digital assets. Um, and um, in all the technology potential that is coming out of it. You just mentioned digital assets. Uh, I read recently uh, some, some comments around uh, being concerned about over-regulating uh, crypto or, or tech. Do you want to give some thoughts on that? Well, you think about where we were in the early 90s, uh, where you had dial-up connections into this new innovation of the World Wide Web. And you had a couple of initial companies that figured out that you had to have a browser in order to make this thing effective and for us to be able to communicate um, uh, in, in substantive ways. So um, what government did then was say that we're going to move slowly to understand this technology. We're going we're gonna to understand what is necessary for regulation once we understand what the heck this thing is. These are the 90s. This is in the 90s, right? So, and then by the mid-90s, what Congress did was pass a resolution saying, we're not going to tax the internet. We should not tax the ability for people to access the internet, nor should we tax the internet. Uh, and I think that was a, that was a foundational, um, that was a massive foundational um, element for what we've benefited from over the last 25, 30 years. Uh, so the, the, the pipes are not taxed. Now, what happens in terms of transactions on top of that, that's a different question, of, of course. But, but what we have to do now is to take the best lessons of the early 90s, bipartisan lessons, that we're going to be measured, that we're going to be slow, and we're going to make sure that we're, we, frankly, measure twice and cut once uh, when we, when we uh, do any regulations. And so... That's the measure that I'm trying to push, saying fully that this is not simply about a tradable asset. Everybody talks about Bitcoin, but let's think in terms of, of the digital asset Bitcoin. Uh, we should not uh, think of it just as a tradable asset. It is an enabling function for the next generation of web technology. 
and what rides on it, we don't want to destroy the opportunities of what rides upon this new set of technology. That's the measured approach I am taking. Right now we have Washington, many in Washington, looking at this and saying uh, this is a new asset that we have to form into a previous asset type that we know and understand, a commodity uh, or a security. And those are the two things, one is fish, one is fowl. Uh, what we now have with the digital asset is something in most regards that is different and unique. We have some that are certainly a, a, a security and some that are certainly a commodity that fit neatly in, into those established regulatory parameters. But we have this whole other realm that is distinct in this offering and we have to understand that and have a proper approach to what those things are. So if you got what you wanted personally, like in the 90s, which is we're not going to tax access to the internet or tax the internet, what would be the equivalent today? What would be that precise resolution today? What would you want to have? Well, I, what I'd want is the Securities, and, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission to say that there are things in the digital asset space that are not securities and the Commodities Future Trading Commission to say that there are things that are not commodities. Right now, we have both agencies saying we see all this space is within our ability to, to regulate and to um, have mastery over. Uh, so I think of this is, is how do we build uh, the cathedral? And the cathedral is an overarching piece of legislation that deals with tax implications, deals with platforms, and then deals with the substance, the sum and substance of what is a digital asset. What is not a security? What is not a commodity? What is this new thing? And if you form yourself in that in that realm, you have a uh, you're separated from the SEC and you're separated from the CFTC. That is the space that I think enables us to have this massive amount of creativity that can come that can come out of this. And do you have an example in mind that as to what should not be considered a security? That is, for example, not Bitcoin or ETH. Under current regulation, I think. You would you would have to define a DAO as something distinct. You would have to define an NFT as something distinct. As two examples, uh, and right now uh, you have you have um, both agencies not recognizing that an NFT is a distinct asset, um, and it is as distinct as somebody who seeks to buy a Picasso and put it on their wall. Um, and it may look, you know, frankly, to, to some people that are, that are not engaged in the space as odd. Um, why would somebody pay for this, right? I hear all this stuff. Like, uh, just, um, you know, uh, use your mouse and save it. It's a gift. Why are you paying for this? Like, and all this stuff that misses the damn point. Right. But, frankly, that's just a... That's just recognition they don't understand the space or the asset, right? That, that a digital asset is, in fact, um, uh, digital gold, or and that, that gets way overused because gold is a commodity, right? Um, but it is, a, it is as distinct as owning something physical, um, even in the world of bits and, and bytes. So... I use a DAO and an NFT as just two examples of things that are distinct from securities regulation in most respects and from commodities regulation in most respects. 
Um, now, obviously, there are applicable laws like copyright laws and trademark laws and things like that that have to be adhered to. Uh, you can't go steal somebody's intellectual property and, uh, and, and call it something that it's not, right? So th there are obvious existing laws that we all have to abide by. Um, but in this realm of securities and commodities, this distinction is very important. The utility uh, of uh, smart contracts should not be the purview of the Securities Exchange Commission. Um, it should not be the purview of the CFTC, just as, you know, and, and those are the utilization piece. So stepping back, if you have a key in order to open a door, do you get to uh, regulate what's inside the door? So right now, people conceive of a digital asset is in and of itself the thing, which is like saying a fight over the dial-up connection is the internet. No, it's just the entry point into the right. internet. And again, you know, my, my abilities for analogies, as you just heard, are really weird and bizarre. But it's a, to the best of my ability when I think of this space. In Washington, they just want to, uh, they want to regulate that key and everything that it unlocks as the same thing. Um, and, and that doesn't, that doesn't really keep with the realities of the space. You brought it up on your own. Do you think NFTs will end up being regulated as securities? I hope not. Um, and, and, you know, the, the idea that you're going to have, um, you know, think of a, a board ape yacht club. Okay. So you have, you have that. Well, what is that? Um, in, in essence, you're talking about um, churning off um, a large variety of different distinct things. So it should probably be regulated more like we regulate uh, baseball cards or how we regulate uh, art sales. Uh, which is to say, um, there is an admission that those things are not securities. Um, and so uh, I think you have to have a similar understanding uh, in securities law that there are distinct assets that are, that are digital in form, that are enabled by um, uh, a, a new type of technology, but are distinct in its in its final final product. So you know how do you how do you regulate how do you have an offering around uh, one piece of art that is in a stack of offerings? Um, I, I think that that becomes really cumbersome, especially when you're talking about you know if you go on OpenSea and you see um, a wide variety of things that you can purchase very very cheaply. Right. I guess I guess you could uh, regulate one piece of art as security if it was fractionalized, like through a Reg A plus or something. Yes, but that, that, there's a means to that. So if you want to, if you right. want to go into the back end, and we all join together, and uh, and do something that is regulated. So um, the fact that you and I could decide that we're going to invest in a in a company, well. Our relationship is our relationship in, in that investment. There are existing laws for how we can create a partnership or whatever that may be. Um, 
But then our activity is regulated. So that, that distinction of your action um, uh, on what you're doing, um, either with your own money versus other people's money, there's that distinction already. Um, and then the distinction between uh, types of action, right? So we could, we could raise an investment fund um, and buy, uh, buy real estate, um, buy commodities, uh, buy securities. Um, and I, I mean, and there, there's, a, there's a ready mechanism to do those things. So I think you have to have this distinction uh, of, of action and intent uh, that is very different than than the current approach. I mean, that, that is that is more it's it's more to a traditional approach to securities and commodities regulation. So um, you mentioned before Congress, you were buying real estate and that was uh, going well. Um, today, are you buying these NFTs? Are you going into crypto? Are you still doing real estate investments? How do you think about your alt exposure today? Well, I, it's it's quite minimal, uh, frankly, because in as as a matter of uh, our ethics policy in in the Congress, um, conflicts of interest uh, are are you know actionable offenses, um, and so what what I entered this space um, following digital assets very closely for the last decade, um, and I've watched. Um, um, I've watched Bitcoin from from roughly 500 forward, um, and so I wanted to be engaged in the in this place in in terms of public policy without uh, personal conflicts, uh, questioning my motives or my actions, um, and so that that's how I've I've operated here. In this space, though, I think it's really important for members of Congress to understand these assets. Um, that's why, you know, you need to, you need to, I mean, there, there are a large variety of things that members of Congress need to, um, uh, need to use for themselves and understand how it works. Uh, and then you can have a better understanding of the policy implications, um, for, uh, for those, those, those asset classes. So to me, it's been it's been uh, really frustrating that I can't, because of the commitment I've made, uh, that I can't um, uh, proactively engage in this space. Because I think it's it's fantastic, interesting, exciting, and um, and and to me is both uh, an investment class and and a hobby. Um, you know, I I'm just fascinated by the the different types of um, Different uh, types of NFTs that are that are um, that are available, um, and the creativity around it. And uh, then you have if you, if you were if you were able if you were able to without having a conflict, which one would you be buying? Um, you know, I, I would I would have had the wisdom to to buy. Um, you know, uh, I, I I mentioned Board Ape Club because I, I just think the the look of it is pretty cool. Uh, I've got a I've got a, a staffer of mine who has a graffiti artist that he's loved, who's rolled out some NFTs and 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 um, and blanking on his name right now, but the the look of it's just so cool, right? And that's the that's the part that I just there's just something that just like hits you, and you just you either think it's cool or you don't, right? And there's no explaining it. I mean, um, 
and uh, and I know most people are talking about the board apes because um, because they've done you know the valuation and all this stuff, but um, I just I just think it's just a cool look. I love it. I love it. Um, if we could change, turn the page and actually get into some of the regulations and get your point of view on report card and how they're doing, so. Let's start with equity crowdfunding. You know, so we just advanced from one million to a five million cap uh, early in twenty one. How do you think that's going? Better, not great. Uh, I wish it were great. The fact that the Securities Exchange Commission came out with rather onerous, not rather significantly onerous regulations out of the gate uh, delayed this space in a really unhelpful, um, unsatisfactory way. Um, and the updates uh, that were put in place, um, uh, you know, within the last uh, year and a half, two years, has made is is given this this space uh, the type of changes necessary for it to, to to come together. So at this at this stage, um, I give it a C minus. Sadly, what needs to happen to advance it even further to give it an A plus? I mean, they they took care of uh, about eighty percent of the concerns I had. Um, I think what has happened here is that you've you've seen this advancement in digital assets that have given us a an alternative um, that is that is seemingly more interesting. So I think the the merger of of crypto with um, investment crowdfunding gives us this potential over the next decade. I think there's real opportunity. Is that your prediction? Is that what's going to happen? Equity crowdfunding meets Web3? Um, and I think it's going to be interesting on how people, you know, uh, create a DAO in order to access uh, that type of regulated offering. Um, and I think I think it, the technology enabled the technology enabled um, investment crashes the cost structure in such a way that that you know low dollar um uh raises a, a low dollar raise for a company becomes much more viable great um what do you think of reggae pluses what's your grade on that uh better i would call that a b plus um because um they they provided um with reggae plus the regulations out of the gate uh, were less expensive than investment crowdfunding, uh, Reg CF, uh, and so therefore it became a more viable alternative. So I think that's it's that's done quite well. I think we've got broad work that we have to do to reduce the expense structure for all this space, so we can have a, a broader set of capital formation and more alternatives. How would you reduce the expense structure? What would you take out? Well. Um, a couple of things you've got to you've got to you've got to I mean what we try to do with with reg CF is to regulate the portal rather than than the individual offerings so if you then have a very simplified offering structure that means you don't have to do the individual legal work to the level that you'd have to do for a major offering um, uh, like a reg reg uh, reg D offering um, then, uh, then that ex reduces the expense structure. So, if you can simplify that and make that um, uh, quite straightforward, um, I, that helps significantly. So, to bring that, uh, the the main point though is that we have these these breakpoints in regulation 
uh, between reg CF, reg, uh, reg A, reg A plus, um, and reg D. And so you have these, these expense structures that come into place at set points. So uh, zero to five million, that's one set of regs, right? And you have on top of it, you know, uh, five to 50, right? And so in the 50 plus. So what we should have is, is a temperature gauge that, that sort of um, ups the expense structure or ups the disclosure structure rather than expense, but disclosure structure as you get larger. So then we smooth over those breakpoints. So if you're raising 4 million um, versus 6 million, it shouldn't be night and day. If you're raising right. 49 uh, million versus 51 million, it shouldn't have a significant differential. And unfortunately, our breakpoints and uh, securities regulations are such that you, you kind of get feel the hammer at certain breakpoints. Therefore, you cap raises, or you have to you have to have people raise instead of fifty one um, million, they raise uh, sixty million in order to, to deal with ramifications for for the for the different type of, of raise. The uh, passing of public solicitation was a really big deal as part of the Jobs Act. How do you think that's going? Um, well, they tried to screw it up. The SEC tried to screw it up, but the the idea was that a um, a, a private offering could could be heard by the public without destroying a private offering, uh, and I think that is that's gone uh, pretty well. Uh, I would give that an A um, over the last uh, you know uh, uh, over the last uh, five six years, um, and I think that that's been helpful as well. I mean, this this you know the, the fact that we had to legislate this. Uh, shows that uh, regulators can be um, aggressive but misguided. Um, it's one thing to have people follow the rule of law. It's a different thing when you're in, enforcing a novel concept because somebody uh, talked in public about a private offering that the public doesn't have access to, right? So, you know, it's it's like uh, you telling me about your bank account. That doesn't mean I have access to your bank account. Um, and um, and just because uh, people were bragging about a, a type of offering doesn't mean that um, the public is entitled to that same offering. So I think um, I think that that really shows that Congress, in a bipartisan way, can respond to to things that are wacky and out of date. Speaking about Speaking a date. Accredited, accredited investor, investor rules, rules. Uh, quite out of date. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean why do we, why still, do have we that? still have that? The foundation of securities law is the assumption that um, that the public is too dumb to understand uh, and see fraud, um, or is too dumb to make decisions with their own money. And I think that is a fundamentally uh, flawed approach. I think it is not in keeping with where, uh, especially technology is right now. We're going to still police the bad guys. We absolutely should. Uh, Buyer beware. Absolutely. Um, We need to make sure that uh, laws are upheld and we go go after fraudsters uh, and bad guys. But people should be entitled to make decisions with their own money. And so the accredited investor standard is, is, is kept um, 
the massive potential, upside potential, uh, especially of what we've seen over the last uh, four, five years and what has happened in private offerings, the valuations of private offerings. Um, it has is, is kept this um, uh, massive economic potential from retail and everyday investors. And therefore, retail and everyday investors have done things like um, invest in, uh, in a narrower group of securities offerings. We have fewer public offerings, fewer public uh, securities to invest in today than we did 30 uh, and 50 years ago in the United States. And, and so we have a narrow range of offerings that more investors than ever are investing for themselves and accessing the markets. So what happens is with a wider number of investors and a narrower set of, of securities to invest in, we have some wacky things that have happened. Think of one year ago, uh, the ride on GameStop and number of the meme stocks. Well, part of that was investment. Uh, part of that was hobby decisions. And uh, another part of that was just cultural. Uh, a bunch of Reddit users saying, "Let's stick it to the shorts, um, and and let's um, you know uh, let's support companies that we like that we don't want blown up and destroyed, um, and sold off for pieces." So, you know, you have a, this broader retail engagement than ever before. So we need to open this up, and I think uh, opening up the accredited investor standard is a way to ensure that people have a broader array of good investable options and that they can make better decisions for themselves with their own money with those greater options. So I, I'm definitely a little biased here, but you know, anybody in America can take a driver's license test and be able to then be able to drive. Anybody in America can decide what to do with their own money when they go to a casino. So what needs to be done for us to change the laws to allow anybody in America to take a test to be able to show that they're allowed to invest in anything they want? Elections have consequences. Um, and um, uh, most of my Republican colleagues are with me uh, on this issue of the credit investor standard, um, and a handful of my Democrat colleagues are with me. Uh, I need more help to make this a bipartisan approach. Um, there's nothing partisan about it. It's just trying to open up greater investment opportunities for the people that want it. Uh, you can go buy a lottery ticket, a state-run lottery, um, and uh, and, and that has far less potential than investing in a, in a startup. It's far riskier, uh, and uh, your downside is almost locked in, um, uh, in uh, almost guaranteed, frankly. Uh, and the upside potential for startups is is enormous. So, you know, I think I, I think in order to focus on income and wealth disparities we have to think of a broader approach. Uh, the old line left versus right approach does not work to solve income and wealth disparities. We have to, and so the way I think of this is we have to open up more investment options to, to help narrow that wealth gap between those that are already wealthy and have access to the best performing assets versus those that are not as wealthy, but maybe highly educated in investments. Um, they should have that opportunity for those best performing assets as well. So uh, if you're trying to raise a, a venture fund or like a private fund, which is focused on venture, you're limited to only 250 accredited investors. And if you're trying to raise a fund that's not venture in another asset class or a multi-strategy asset class, 
uh, multi-asset strategy, you're limited to 99 accredited investors. That's so few. Why? What can we do to expand that? Um, well, I, I, I did this with an angel investing to, to expand uh, the number of partners you can have uh, in, uh, in, in these funds. Um, I, I think we have to m- more, I think we have to expand this. Uh, we have to expand it because that enables uh, less wealthy people to, um, to invest in the space. Um, and that also means that you can have, and uh, in, in the reason why that, that works is if you still have a high dollar amount, you have to target to raise. And instead of having 99 investors, you can have 250 or 500. That means that each investor can have, you know, has a less uh, lower commitment amount. So I think we have to update that number um, and, and, you know, build on the work that I put in for, for, uh, for um, angels consortiums uh, to, to up the number of, uh, of, of investors. We have weird breakpoints like this across securities laws that we have to update uh, for modern society and new technology. So outside the questions I've asked, what is one or two other pressing topics very specifically that you'd like to try to change around these investment regulations? Well, uh, the credit investor standard is is really hot on my list. Uh, but I think we have to define digital assets. We had really bad legislation that, that passed, uh, very bad language that passed as a part of the infrastructure bill, uh, defining uh, crypto uh, brokers as something that they're not. Um, if you're providing a server uh, to a miner, that does not make you a broker. Uh, and so they pass really bad uh, language, and I think we have to fix that. Uh, we don't need bad regulation coming out of an infrastructure bill to define digital assets. That's really uh, very high on my list to, to get action on. Uh, in the short term, I think we have to uh, have a smart regulatory regime around stable coins as the access point uh, to a variety of crypto assets. You have to have uh, a, you know a, a U.S. dollar stable coin um, that is is in some respects uh, like a money market fund, in other respects is like a, a payment scheme, uh, and so we have to have regulation around um, stable coins. Um, and I think we have to have a longer-term study around a central bank digital currency. I don't think we should move quickly on uh, legislating uh, a central bank digital currency uh, for the U.S. government, for the Federal Reserve. I don't think we need to uh, act quickly on that. I think we have to be quite measured and understand the ramifications for that. I think stable coins can, can fix um, and, uh, in a, a broad offering on stable coins and smart regulation on stablecoins can, can give you uh, the benefits uh, that people are touting that a central bank digital currency could enable in our, in, in our, in our country and around the world. And so I want to be quite measured with central bank digital currency discussions, uh, but quite aggressive on defining digital assets uh, so, that we can, so that we can have some, some homegrown innovation here for the next, for the next uh, uh, 10, 20 years. Uh, and and use digital assets to to power this this uh, this new this new version of the internet. Awesome. So if if our listeners want to be more like you, learn like you, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are the specific things that if they want to copy you? 
Look, uh, I think Twitter is a huge learning platform. It is also uh, a wretched place. Um, but if you curate smartly, you can find some of the, the best minds in the world sharing some of the deepest insights. And if you don't curate very well, then you can be in a, a, a deep labyrinth of hell. Um, so uh, I've tried to curate well the, the folks that, um, that I, that I uh, follow uh, closely that are big thinkers in the space. And, you know, uh, you, know you can, um, uh, you can you know, look me up on, on Twitter. I'd love the feedback on, on people I should be reading or things I should be reading. I'm always trying to consume in this space. Um, there are so many different substacks uh, right now and so many different folks that, that can go down the rabbit hole in a niche. Um, and so I'm, I'm always chasing those, um, uh, chasing those things. Uh, you're actually a great read on, on Twitter as well. And that's been helpful. Um, and so I, it's a whole grab bag of things, frankly. Um, and I'm always looking to get smarter in the space. And as soon as, if I have a day that I feel like I have a really good understanding of, of where things are with digital assets, um, I then will read something that tells me that I don't know anything at all. Uh, and so I'm always trying to consume to get smarter because this space is so dynamic and it's got such great potential. And we're it's such an early stage. We don't know what's what's going to come. So I'm you know I'm always trying to consume podcasts and and uh, Twitter are significant ways that I'm 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 listening and engaged. So anything you got, send my way. So the last question is. Here we are in Q1 2022. What are your predictions for three years out in terms of either investments that you think will do well or two regulations that, you know, will be evolving or it'll be changing? Well, I think uh, within three years, we'll have a definition of a digital asset that is distinct from a security and a commodity. That's prediction number one. That will happen at the federal level, number one. Number two, uh, we'll have a regulatory formula at the federal level. Uh, for stable coins, uh, which will give people a great deal of assurance that when you take your fiat uh, into the digital realm before you get into uh, whatever digital asset you want to invest in, that that money is safe and secure. Uh, I think there'll be plenty of state alternatives as well, but at the federal level, we'll have a regime there. That's prediction two. Prediction three, I don't know what is going to be the 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 top performing asset um, uh, in this in, in the world of digital assets. But what I do know is, in three years, uh, everything will be up from where it stands now, um, uh, across the board. Uh, I think there is such massive potential here um, that we cannot. I I can't say. Um, uh, that this this um, digital asset is the answer. I think we're going to have um, I think we're going to have a significant number that are going to provide answers uh, that are going to provide a better uh, uh, user experience uh, that are going to make it easier. Um, and and I think we're going we're going to continue to see innovation not just for the next three years but for the next thirty years in this space built off of the crazy idea that uh, Satoshi brought to the world. And um, 
And I think I think that's what we're looking at for the next 30 years. And I'm really excited about it. And uh, the fourth thing, uh, my fourth prediction is we will fight like hell in Washington, but we will beat the bad guys from destroying this space. Um, and that's the fourth prediction. Uh, fifth prediction will, in the, the reason why the fourth prediction will be able to happen is because my fifth prediction is we're going to have crypto voters. And crypto voters are going to be on the left, the right. They're going to be uh, uh, communards and uh, and uh, and uh, libertarians. They're going to be across the board from the left to the right. Uh, and these crypto voters are going to uh, encourage those uh, in public office to be pro-crypto uh, uh, and punish those that are not. And, uh, and I think that will happen in the next three years as well. Uh, that we're going to have a serious number of crypto voters that seriously engage, and that will make a serious impact in public policy. So those are my five predictions for what they're worth. Um, that was amazing. So such, I wanna... such as it is, right? We'll see, we'll see if any of them come true. But I I I, I made five because I thought this that I, I I have confidence in those things. I love it. I love it. Well, um, it's been quite the journey and discussion. We really appreciate your time. We covered everything from crowdfunding, you know, PBR to board apes to really pushing forward the accredited investor rules to your big five predictions for 2025. We really appreciate you coming to the podcast. Thank you very much, Congressman McHenry. Slava, thanks for what you're doing. Uh, thanks for what you're doing. It's a it's a really cool concept and in uh, in great user experience, frankly. So uh, great to be with you and uh, thanks for what you're doing. Until next time. Smart Humans with Slava Rubin is a podcast brought to you by the team at Vincent. Any data, text, or other content in this podcast is provided as general market information and not as investment advice. Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future results. For more information on alternative investing, check out Vincent at www.withvincent.com.